Welcome to Sermons by Brad Tuttle. We are so glad you decided to join us today. We know you're going to be encouraged, inspired, and challenged by this powerful sermon. better place to be on this day than in church, except if they're not going to preach what needs to be preached. Amen. This is a powerful day because of what this represents. And I heard a quote by Leonard Ravenhill, theologian, evangelist. Um, he said something like, People tell me all the time, why are you so serious about all this? And he said, well, I don't think it's going to really matter when I get to heaven. I don't think Jesus is going to look at me and say, why were you so serious about all this? Being in church, is a, it's, a, it's a time of fellowship and happiness. We talk, we learn, but it's a time of really seeing who we are in the face of Christ. Um, where's our life? And this day is so pinnacle because if this day, we represent this day as the day he rose. If this day didn't happen, no one in this room has any hope. That's why it's not to be toyed with. Or I think I'll go to this church this week and go to, it's, 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 this is serious business, this walk with Christ. Amen? Amen. And uh, there'd be no hope. So if you have a Bible, we're going to read a lot of scripture this morning. I figured since it's Resurrection Day, we should read the chapter on it. So we're going to read a lot of verses today, verse 1 through 22. This is the heaviest chapter in the Bible about the, regarding the resurrection. And then we're going to preach a sermon. So we're going to read out of chapter 15, verses 1 through 22. The title of our sermon today is, It Really Happened. Remember, the one writing this is the one that was inspired by the Spirit, and the one writing this was the one that was a persecutor of Christians who had all of this revealed to him by Christ himself. Verse 1 says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, which was Peter, then to the twelve. Then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Somebody say 500. He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Verse 7, Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace toward me was not In vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, 
though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Paul's talking to a church here that had a lot of different beliefs about death. He says in verse 13, But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And you wonder how important it is? Verse 14, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ whom He did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope, in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of all those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Amen. It really happened. So we're going to focus on verses 1 through 8. And when you read this, it's no wonder that the world attacks the authenticity of the resurrection so relentlessly. Um, if you don't follow anything on YouTube or listen to whatever, it, it's amazing all the people that try to deny the fact that Jesus really rose from the dead. Um, you'll hear all the different theories, the swoon theory that he really just passed out on the cross. He didn't really die. Um, it was all a big facade. The people that saw him were just hallucinating. And uh, so they will make up anything to try to prove that this didn't really happen because of, of how profound the meaning of it is. If he didn't raise from the dead, we have no hope. If he didn't raise from the dead, all of your passed on loved ones will not rise. That's the importance of what he did. He made it so we could have life after death. He says in Romans 10, why the belief in the truth of the resurrection is central to Christianity. Just let me read this to you. Romans chapter 10. And you wonder how important it is? Listen to this. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, and look at this, it says, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. That's part of the gospel. That's part of the confession of being a believer. That you're supposed to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. If someone does not believe in Christ's resurrection, clearly they cannot be saved. If he did not rise from the dead, then nothing in life matters. Nothing. It's why this is not about Easter egg hunts. It's not about Easter bunnies. It's about the Savior of the world allowed himself to be slaughtered on a cross and bleed and die and then rose again. Amen. Overcoming death, hell, the grave, and all the other stuff. Amen. 
Charles Spurgeon says, Now we expect to hear a whole lot list of doctrines when the apostle says, I declare unto you the gospel. But instead of that, he simply tells us of the resurrection of Jesus. For that is the very marrow of the gospel, the foundation of it, that Jesus Christ died and rose again the third day according to the scriptures. So as I'm supposed to do as a pastor, to exposit these verses for you, let me go through verses 1 through 8. Let's break these down, look at them, and see what they really mean. Amen? So verse 1, he says, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel, or the gospel is also called what? The good news. It's good news because why? We're saved through it, amen? So verse 1, now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel, or the good news, I preach to you, which you received and which you stand. That phrase, in which you stand, it means, it means that you have a foundation now that you're saved. It means you can handle life because you're saved. You have a security in the midst of problems because you're saved. You stand in the foundation of your salvation. You stand steady, no matter what kind of force comes against you, because you have been saved. And people wonder why their lives are so dysfunctional, so up and down. You need to look at yourself. Are you saved? In your salvation, you now have the ability to stand strong against the trials of life. Amen? So check yourself. Where am I with Christ? When you believe that God has forgiven your sins for Christ's sake, you have a place to stand that can handle anything that comes along in your life. So he's saying, this gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand. He says, now I remind you, brothers. Verse 2. And by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. That if there does not imply that these believers were in danger of losing their salvation, but it's a warning against non-saving faith. And someone says, well, I'll say this, and I'll say this very... Um, directly that there's a lot of people sitting in churches today in churches today this is this is easter and christmas are the ceo hol- these are the hol- ceo holidays christmas easter only and people will come to these and and it's good to ha- at least you're here or at least they're there but there's a lot of people sitting in mega churches thousands of church- churches around here they got multitudes of thousands of people that have probably raised a hand and prayed the prayer that are not saved that have not truly believed. Non-saving faith. They never really got saved. So a clearer rendering would be, if you hold fast what I preach to you, unless your faith is worthless, or unless you believed without effect. Never should an evangelist tout that every person that raised their hands because they raised their hands and prayed a prayer, they all got saved because he doesn't know how many got saved if one out of a thousand because it's belief. It's how the heart believes. So I ask all of you here today, have you really believed? If you die today, will you rise again? Have you believed? That's the importance of this day. Verse 3, for I deliver to you as of first importance. So now Paul's saying, these things I've talked to you about with the gospel, they're of first importance. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture. He's referring to to the gospel that he received through direct revelation from the Lord. Now he delivered these gospel truths to others. And he's saying that these truths are of first importance. These are of first prominence. The gospel is the thing. It's of first importance. Because without hearing the gospel, people can't be saved. Amen? 
For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins. Sins, the Greek word harmatia. In a spiritual, well, the word generally started off with the idea of missing the mark, as with hunting with a bow and arrow. When you didn't hit the bullseye, that's kind of how the word sin started off meaning. In a spiritual sense, it means, listen to this, it means falling short of his standard of holiness. So God's a holy God. How have you been living your life lately? In the face, in in the presence of a holy God, how are you living your life? So falling short of his standard of holiness, acting contrary to his will and word, departing from doing what is right. And I, w- I added this this morning because I thought this was really important to hit on this a little bit. A judge who pardons lawbreakers isn't a righteous judge. Overlooking sin would make the holy God an unjust God. He can't overlook sin. It's what sent his son to the cross. Death is God's just consequence for sin. That's the gravity of sin. And we say, well, before I was a believer, that's all been taken care of because now I'm saved and all my sin's been forgiven. But do you still think that the sin you sin, even as a believer, is not, is not disgusting in the nostrils of God? We take this life so easy is Christian walk. We make it so easy that, you know, I want to live it the way I want to live it. I want to talk the way I want to talk. I'm going to do what I want to do. Grace, 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 God forgive me, I'm okay. We serve a holy God. Yeah, He's a loving Father, but there's consequences to our actions, and nobody's preaching that anymore. And they're afraid that someone's going to walk out the church because the guy talked about and try to label his legalism, but no, it's living right before a holy God. Take this so lightly. Death is God's consequence for sin. It says, for the wages of sin is death. Even good works can't make up for the wrongs that we commit against God. No matter how much money you give, no matter how much you do with charity, no matter how many people you help overseas, if you're not saved, you're still in sin. And it can't make up for the wrongs that you've committed against the holy God. Compared to His goodness... All of our righteousness is as filthy rags, it says in Isaiah 64. Adam sinned. Every human being has been guilty of disobeying God's righteous law. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Nobody, not even a baby, is born innocent. Do I believe children will go to heaven? Absolutely, but they're not born innocent. We are all born sinners. Separated from God by our sin, and the only way to get to the Father is through the resurrected Christ. And sin is not just big things like murder. It includes love of money, hatred of enemies, unforgiveness, deceit of the tongue, pride. You ever met anybody that's never wrong? Self-righteousness right there. It's pride. It's a sin. Because of sin, everyone has deserved death. So that's the gravity of sin that Jesus died for. Somebody say amen. Where it says in accordance with Scripture, it means there's evidence that affirms that Jesus bled and died on the cross. The Old Testament prophecies pointed to this event that we celebrate today. Verse 4, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. That he was buried, he had to have... The only way he could have been laid in a grave is if he died. So he died, he was placed into a tomb, into a grave. There's no question about that. His apostles, his disciples believe that. Uh, 
And then it says he was raised. And the Greek word for raised literally means to cause someone to wake from sleep, to cause to return to life. And I, I share this sometimes, and I want you to hear this. It's really important, and I think this is where we, one area we can bring the Greek in that's, that's, that's needed. When Paul wrote this, and he was inspired, the Holy Spirit inspired him to use the word raised, but to use it in a verb way, in a way that the verb meant something much more than just reading the word raised. So in the Greek perfect tense, that's, that's a tense of a verb, of a Greek verb, it literally means that Christ rose at a point in history and continues in his risen state. Another aspect of that verb was a passive voice of that verb. And, that verb. and what that passive voice means is that he did not raise himself, but was raised by God. And Peter makes this point in several places as well. Peter was passionate about spreading the gospel. Um, just a few of the places that Peter, Peter talked about this, Acts 2.24 he says, God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Hallelujah. Here's the thing. Jesus rose from the dead. He really rose. Peter speaking in the house of Simon the Tanner declared, God raised him up on the third day and granted that he should become visible. Acts 10, 40 says that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, now verse 5, and that he appeared to Cephas, or Peter, then to the twelve. Isn't it interesting that one of the first people he showed himself to was the one that denied him three times? And that's also the kind of God that he is because he is a God of second chances. You denied me, I'll give you the opportunity to see me as one of the first people that see me risen. So here's, here, here, here's the fundamental question today. Did Jesus actually, literally, and physically rise from the dead? Did it really happen? That's the question. Everything hangs on it. Eternal life, faith, everything. And that's what this whole chapter is about. And we see from this chapter that there's this whole chorus of voices from the first century that say, that were there, eyewitness to this, that say loudly, yes, we saw him rise from the dead. Why is this important? Because you need to be equipped with the understanding that he really rose. And when you talk to people that are out in the world, you need to talk to them about these things. Who, he, who saw him, James and Peter, and talk about there were 500. And some people will say, well, I don't believe in all the scripture. Well, they're hurting already from the start. But the thing about it, we believe in the word of God and we believe what the word of God says. And if it says this, then it's true. Amen? So Christianity has always rested on powerful eye evidence, witnesses who saw him alive, raised from the dead. One commentator quoted this, throughout history, the testimony of responsible and honest eyewitnesses has been considered one of the most reliable forms of evidence in a court of law. So Paul appeals to the testimony of these competent witnesses that Jesus really did rise from the dead. And if he really did rise from the dead, why aren't we more excited? Amen. Amen. Our life should be so filled, whether we're going through a tough time or whether it's trying to drag us down, because we are now in the understanding that we are living and serving a risen Christ. There are people that are gathering in Mormon churches today, that are gathering in Jehovah's Witness, they're gathering in mosques, and they're, 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 they're serving false religions, and they're serving false gods. We know the true and living God, and we know that Jesus rose from the dead. Amen. That's why our lives as believers should be really filled with so much excitement. 
and joy. Verse 6 says, Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And they, a lot of people try to say, well, this is because there's a lot of people that were hallucinating on this. It'd be, it'd be it's a pretty big thing to try to get 500 people to hallucinate all at one time. <laughs> Especially people from all various backgrounds and attitudes. To do this all at once would be somewhat incredible. They say, as you read this, it says his appearance of the 500 could have occurred on a mountainside in Galilee because the first message that he sent to the women who were at the tomb, he said, go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee and there they will see me. So I would imagine that word spread. No wonder there was 500 people there because everybody wanted to see this Jesus who rose from the dead. I'd want to be there. You? Amen? Who'd want to miss that? So it's no wonder there were 500 or more waiting for him. And one, actually John MacArthur said this, he said, the quality of specific witnesses is represented by the apostles, all of whom were known by name and could easily be questioned. The quantity of witnesses is seen in the 500 brethren who all saw the risen Christ at one time. They were surely well known in the early church and like the 12 would often have been questioned about seeing the risen Savior. And the reason I'm making such a big deal out of this is because this is very meaningful to me. When I got saved, I just got saved. I didn't know anything. I went to a church that preached to me about sin. Live right. God's a holy God. And that put in me, I need to live my life right. But I knew I was saved. I didn't get deep theology. I didn't get a lot of that. That's okay. That's just the style of particular church that was. But they did drive into me, you need to live a right life before God. And when you don't, you need to repent and get your life right. As I've grown in my Christian faith, what is even more exciting to me is that now, being a saved person, I have evidence and facts that back up what I believe. That's why these kind of things are exciting to me, because I see in this, there is factuality about this. This is not just something that I'm hooping and hollering about because it, you know, hey, hey, it's Easter, hallelujah, Jesus rose from the dead. No, he really did. And I have eyewitness accounts that tell me, the word of God tells me factually this took place. And if it factually took place, it should stick at my heart and make me realize, man, I can be more than a conqueror. All of that to say it really happened. Verses 7 and 8 says, Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also as one as by one born out of due time. So through this phenomenal event, James is convinced to Paul it really happened, to James it really happened, the apostles it really happened, the 500 brothers at one time it really happened, and because it did, everyone in Christ will be made alive. And if this isn't exciting to you now, it's going to be exciting for all those who know you who are at your funeral when you're not here anymore. Because if it wasn't for this, funerals should be completely somber because that person will never rise. That's why it is... I've had people ask me to do funerals for people that I didn't know if they were saved. You know, you'll ask them, well, I guess. It's hard because you're in, your, in, your, in yourself, you're like, I don't really know if when I'm preaching, this person will rise from the dead. They have a place in heaven. I don't know that. That's the truth of it. If it wasn't for this day that we represent as the resurrection of Christ, there is life isn't worth living. 
We are lost in our sins, destined for hell, separated from God the Father forever. Jesus rose from the dead. Everybody with me? So by his resurrection, he overcame death. By his resurrection, we too are already now resurrected to a new life. And this hope of new life, this is present reality. God forgive all of us for living lives as believers that are below what we should be living. Forgive us for allowing despondency and discouragement and fear and all these dysfunction coming into our lives, allowing it to take us down when we should be people that are living above all of it because we know who we are serving. This happened. The devil, his minions, they're under his feet, so we are never hopeless because Jesus rose from the dead. I'll close with this. It says, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. So everything I'm saying to you today, none of this matters if Jesus didn't rise, but he did. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. And those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. But he did rise. Listen, number one. The resurrection is the core of the Christian message and should never be neglected or assumed. It's easy to put it on Facebook or Instagram as a nice quote, which I did. But it's another thing to really know it and to live according to it. Number two, belief in Jesus' physical resurrection is the defining doctrine of Christianity. This is the main thing. Without the resurrection, nothing else matters. You ask the people in the world about Jesus and they'll say he lived and he died, but they leave out the most important thing. Number three, the resurrection demonstrated to the whole universe the deity of Jesus and God's love for him. Number four, without the resurrection, there would have been no church at all. Number five, our neglect of Jesus' resurrection may be one of the reasons our gospel preaching is so powerless. Number six, the resurrection purchased our justification. The resurrection gives us the joy of knowing that Christ is with us today. The resurrection gives us hope that goes beyond the grave. The resurrection unites every Christian with the life-giving force that raised Jesus from the dead. And because of the resurrection, we can know that Jesus is personally coming back to judge and rule the world. I can sit here today and I can know that my dad is in heaven. His physical body will be raised because I know he believed. Do we know Christ? And then to all of us who are believers, how many of you are believers in here? Don't lie. How many are believers? Okay. To all of us, look at our, let's look at our lives and think, are we living according to this? He rises from the dead, comes out, and I've said this a million times, the stone did not have to be rolled away for Jesus to get out. And then the angel sitting up top, I love that. The Bible tells us there was an angel sitting there. And who came to the tomb first? The women. They ran. And one, and one was a harlot. 
That was her preoccupation. Ran to the tomb. Who are you looking for? He's not here. He's risen. It's a glorious, glorious thing. Everyone believes that he died, but it can't end there. That's the good news. That's the good news. And it can't be good news if we don't understand that there's bad news. And the bad news is we were born sinners and without Christ we will die in our sin. The good news is through trusting in Christ because he rose, we can now be saved. We can now be set free. We can now be delivered. We now don't have to hold on to our past. My past doesn't have to mark me. My past doesn't have to name me. I'm not the same person I used to be. I am born again. I'm a new creation. I'm a new person. I have a new life. And it's all because of what Jesus did for me when he rose from the dead. To me, it really happened. To you, it really happened. And because it did, death cannot defeat us. Because we too shall be made alive. Thank you for joining us at Sermons by Brad Tuttle. We pray this sermon blessed you, encouraged you, inspired you, and challenged you in your walk with Christ. Thank you for being with us. You can come back and visit us anytime. God bless you.